0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Young Bucks podcast, your Pittsburgh Pirates prospects podcast of choice. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jerry Pergar. Corey, another week, another I.L. stint for last year's top pick, Henry Davis. It's the same wrist. It's the same injury. What is going on?
1: Yeah, I wish we knew. Um, We don't. And but I would say this. I, I am concerned. Uh, If we're going to be talking about the middle of July here, and again, I I don't want to necessarily throw my arms up and say this is some kind of disaster, but when you're talking about a catcher who is an elite hitter and who was the number one pick in the draft and a wrist injury, wrists are, are those things, Jared, they just linger. They just nag at you. The little bones in your hand and all that stuff. So we thought that he had it taken care of the first time when he missed three weeks. Now he's back on the IL Again, I don't want, to, I don't want fans to sit there, sit there and think that we're jumping off bridges here with concern for Henry Davis, but I, I, I don't think this is a real good scenario that he's
0: back on the injured list for a second time. The issue, I think, here with Davis isn't that he's hurt. It's that he's hurt again. And it's the original injury never healed properly. correct? And, and when you think about that, when you, cause he was hurt in Greensboro that carried over to his, his initial stint in Altoona. And now we're back at this again. If he does, it, if he goes on the IL in Greensboro and just gets healthy and then gets the promotion down the line, I don't think this is an issue, but again, it's the risk it, you're using it every play. And especially as a catcher, you're involved in every play, but It's not as though he's playing every day in Altoona, or at least he wasn't leading up to this. Uh, Good, bad, or indifferent. The way that they've deployed the catcher position uh, and deployed Davis really this year, he hasn't ever played every day for for Altoona. So I mean, you know, Jared, can I stop you right there
1: before we get back? Does that bot does that part bother you? Because that bothers me. I'll be serious. I'll be serious. I'm talking about just in in general, just a healthy catcher. I mean, you gotta this. We just baby these guys so much, and yeah, you're right. Very rarely, just Henry play back to back days. At least at least at catcher, it seems. So I, I don't. I, first of all, I don't. I don't like that component. I'm not saying you got to play him seven days a week, but I think part of minor. I think part of prep, preparing in the minor leagues is to play games. You're talking about. All this stuff was written about the soft skills and getting to know all the pitchers and their tendencies and repertoires and all. Well, how about catching games? Uh How about catching games and becoming a better defensive catcher, which I think
0: we all realize is probably Henry's the one thing he's got to work on the most. Right. And I think that's the issue, too, is is him not playing every day because of the injury or because of Mm a load management issue? Because it could be both things. Right. I mean, playing, going from college baseball, you know, he, he plays for Louisville last year, then goes to the complex league and, and even high a right after he gets drafted and, and those things, then, you know, you have the off season and he goes to rookie camp and, or get better at baseball camp or whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, and you, you kind of want to ease him back into it. It's, it is a big workload. Baseball is a game that you're playing every day. Now at the same time, if he's hurt, It makes sense why he's only playing twice or three or four times a week and not playing every day at the catcher position. But there's just so much more that meets the eye for this. And I think that's really, you have to get under, it's like like an onion. You have to get under the layers here because there's so much that it could be. And this is not a knock against Davis by any means. It just sucks because he's the number one guy and he's the, the future of the franchise right now at catcher. And it it kind of puts the guys in Greensboro in a purgatory too, because those guys want to get called up, but they can't because if they if when if, and when Davis comes back, they're going to get sent back down. And that's not a situation the pirates have really dealt with since this, um, since this regime took over.
1: Well, we're talking about his season is three months old and Henry's caught 27 games this season. Now he's been injured a couple of times, but he's caught 27 games this season. Now, some of this, what folks, what we're talking about is in generalities, because neither Jared nor I know exactly what's wrong with Henry's wrist. Jared brought up a good point. We don't know if he is playing less behind the plate to protect the wrist, which very well could be the case. Um, and he is, we have to be honest here, he was the number one draft pick because of his offensive skills as a catcher, not because he is Yadier Molina back there. Okay, maybe he can become a great defensive catcher, but he is an elite offensive offensive catcher. So that's where if you remember Jason Kendall, you know, Jason Kendall, you know, different, different injury. But after the broken leg, you know, the power was kind of drained. He kind of became a singles and doubles hitting catcher. And you can succeed that way. You can. But not when the Pirates had given him a 10 year or a six year, 60 million dollar contract. That was a sixty million dollar contract when their team payroll was thirty five million a year. So Jason Kendall was making a third, basically of of the of the payroll. Why am I mentioning that? Well, because when you have a really good offensive catcher and they have physical ailments and they've still got to go behind the plate and catch, it it takes a toll. Not that Jason Kendall was ever going to be an elite, you know, power hitter, but they think Henry Davis can be that. So if you're taking a toll with a wrist injury as a twenty two year old and you're out for a second time, Again, this I don't I don't think it is uh, until we hear something definitive from the Pirates one way or another. I don't think that it, it is exaggerating to say there there should at least be a little bit of concern here,
0: right? And I think that's the thing too. Like you, have to, the, the best way for a prospect to help you is on the field, and it's not just you know Davis. You know Nick Gonzalez has had injury issues this year. Obviously, you know he's on the IL right now with his heel injury and out for a significant amount of time. And when you have two of your top prospects. And you can say what you want about Gonzalez's production this year um, and how he's looked at the plate because there have been times where he's seemed overmatched. Um, but, you know, you have you have to be on the field, right? You can't. And Quinn Priester, too. You know, it took a while for him to get going this season. And this, this Altoona team was supposed to be electric. It's supposed to be so fun to watch. And, you know, they have their moments, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, it, it hasn't been – all sunshine and rainbows for the curve this year. And what this
1: does is it delays the timeline. Okay. All Pirates fans out there are like, okay, well, they're going to be terrible this year in 2022, but they got O'Neill Cruz up and maybe they will be a lot better next year. And then 2024, all these guys will be up. All the Charrington trade will know how it's worked out. 2024, they can compete, maybe win a world series in 2025. You know, like that old Astros thing where Sports Illustrated predicted the Astros would win. the World. Pirates fans, they're in their minds. They're trying to think, okay, well, how long can we get all these guys up? So this delays the timeline. It delays the timeline for Nick Gonzalez. Hopefully it won't delay the timeline for Henry Davis, but if he has to miss many more weeks or, God forbid, have to go on the 60-day DL, um, well, then this would be pretty much a lost year. Okay, Uh, if he if he can only play catch 27 games, 30 games, that's not really what you want. And so that's got to be the frustrating part for for Pirates fans, because we do have a lot of these young guys. But if they're having to miss time, it just delays the entire plan.
0: Right. And I mean, obviously, you want them to be at their best, right? You want, you want to see what they've got so that you can see what they need to work on development wise, but you can, you can develop off the field. But again, game reps matter and everything like that matters. And when you, when you're not able to, to go out and compete, you know, it sucks and it's grueling and it's a mental test, but now, you know, gotta, gotta see it on the field. And, and Davis has shown flashes of that. I thought he was starting to hit the ball pretty well. And and Gonzalez was starting to play a little bit better uh, towards the time where he got hurt. But again, you know, you just got to see them on the field.
1: Well, we've been able to see, and folks, There, there is a lot of reason to be excited about Henry Davis' bat. We've seen it, just so everybody is clear on that. Why get hurt, too? <laughs> yeah, right. Last thing I want to add on this is just the element of uh, baseball compared to other sports. Henry Davis was the number one overall pick in the draft last year. Do you know how little of a news blip it was that he went on the injured list this time, Jared, the, the, this past week. You, do you know how little ripple effect it really had in the media for a number one pick? If this were the number one overall draft pick in, in the NBA or the NFL, this would be a massive national story. There'd be a headline on Sports Center or on ESPN. It would, There would be hundreds or thousands of mentions on Twitter. When Henry Davis went to the IL, the Altoona Curve sent out a press release that he went to, John Drecker put it out. I put it out. Some of the other people who cover the Pirates put it out. That's it. That's really, that's really all there was. I mean, just think about that dynamic of how obscure, even a number one overall draft pick, how obscure
0: you are when you're in the minor leagues. Right. And that's the crazy thing, Corey. I mean, it's not like, the NFL or the NBA where your top pick is an immediate impact player, these guys are drafted and then they go to the complex league. Then they go to low A, then high A, then double A, then triple A. And and somewhere in between is is the Arizona fall league or maybe the Dominican winter league. And, and then even then they still have to, to get to triple A and it's unlike anything other. And I think that's what, what makes baseball so special but it also makes it, you know, unique in that in the fact that they got to go perform at multiple levels before they even get to the pinnacle of the sport.
1: Yeah, it's pretty wild. Hopefully, Henry will be okay. Hopefully, this is not something that lingers. Um, boy, a hand, a hand doesn't necessarily bode well. A wrist, fingers, those kinds of things, for a, for a power hitter. But uh, hey, hopefully hopefully everything works out and we do get to see him back on the field here before too long. And hopefully the pirates give us some kind of update on this here in the next week or
0: so. Right. But Corey, listen, this is getting depressing. So let's talk about things and players that have already reached the major leagues, but we're highly touted prospects. When we come back here on the young bucks podcast, and the DK Pittsburgh sports podcasting network. Welcome back to the young bucks podcast, the DK Pittsburgh sports podcast, New York, Corey and I have been able to see years and years of prospects. Well, actually every year since it's inception, the curve um, go through the minor league system here in, in Altoona. And we thought it would be fun to talk about our favorite or our top prospects on this prospect podcast. So I'm going to give the floor to Corey. Corey is uh, the longest tenured beat writer uh, in the minor leagues. And, He's seen every year of Altoona curve baseball as a, as a beat writer, right? Is that correct, Corey?
1: That is. And we thought we would have some fun with this. We're, we're going to name our favorite prospect that we've seen. All right. So we're, I'm not, we're not talking about the best prospect here. We're not talking about an Andrew McCutcheon kind of player or anything. We're talking about our favorite guy for whatever reason. Uh, we just enjoyed the guy, his story. And I appreciate Jared letting me go first. My favorite prospect, Pirate's prospect, in my time covering the Altoona Curve is the man, Josh Harrison.
0: The alluded to his walk-up song.
1: That's right. That may be a surprise to some people coming from somebody in Altoona where Adam Heisdew is still the king and the emperor here uh, and always will be. Brad Eldred was the greatest double-A slugger ever. But Josh Harrison, to me... Epitomized what minor league baseball should be about, Jared. We just spent our first segment talking about Henry Davis. Henry Davis was the number one overall pick. He will get every opportunity in the world to succeed. And I'm going to say he will fail, but even if he fails over and 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 over, he will get every opportunity. When you are a lower round draft pick, now Josh Harrison was a sixth round draft pick. I'm not saying he was a 30th round pick, but when you're a lower round guy, you have to bust your behind to get opportunities. And the Pirates acquired Josh Harrison in a trade for John Grabo and Tom <laughs> <laughs> Gorzolani. Josh, oh, man. Harrison those names are throwbacks, is still. He is still playing in the major leagues. He just got his thousandth hit in the big league. So congratulations to him. And you know what? Not only did Josh Harrison come over in that trade, Jared, he was a throw in. He -hmm. was a throw in, in that trade. The pirates uh, sent over Graybo and Gorslani. They got Kevin Hart. Does anybody remember Kevin Hart? Not the comedian. He was a hard throwing baseball player. They got a guy named Jose Escanio and they got Josh Harrison and Josh Harrison made himself a major leaguer. And, and so when we talk about prospects, that's what I love to see Jared is the guys who really come out of nowhere and they're not
0: given a damn thing. They earn every single thing. Right. And I think that's the coolest thing about prospects, right? Because we talked about this uh, when blind Madris went up and when Camp you mm-hmm. went up the grinders get their due. And I think that's so important because that they're not going to be the bonus babies, right? They're not going to be highly touted. They're going to do their work and get the job done. A guy that reminded me of that was Jordan Luplo from a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. He came in, came over in a trade or no, 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 no. I'm sorry. He came, that was here, got traded. Uh, and you know, he was a guy that, you know, had rocket fast hands. He's still in the league. As well, and you know, for me, my my favorite prospect to watch was Tyler Glass now, and the reason why is because number one, I think he was one of the best, if not the best, minor league pitcher of all time. He was lights out at nearly every level. Of course, when things got to Pittsburgh, things went haywire, and that happens. That's why being a baseball prospect is a crapshoot, because you can go out and pick a top ten pick like Tony Sanchez or Reese McGuire. And those guys don't live up to that hype, right? Or they're not as good as what you think you are. Because, you know, in basketball, you know, you know who's going to be the stud. In football, you know this guy, if given the right opportunities, is going to be good. The only position really is quarterback that you just have no idea. And a lot of that's dictated by the team that they're drafted to. But for now I remember coming back, you know, I, um, I, in 2015, he was called up to the curve. And when he made his date or he made his debut, I was um I spent the summer coaching a travel baseball team uh in Louisiana. And when I got home from Louisiana, I the first thing I did was get tickets to see Tyler Glassnell pitch at P- at then it was Blair County Ballpark, now it's P and G Field. And when I went there, I sat right behind Home Plate, which is where I always, if I'm not in the press box, I always like to see um right behind home plate because I want to see the game unfold in front of me and just seeing what it was like to be behind there. And he just threw gas and he was filthy. And that, you know, obviously he didn't live up to it in Pittsburgh, but then things clicked when he went elsewhere. And I think that's the unique aspect of football, of baseball because sometimes it's not, you know, it's not the, the, the flower that's the problem, it's the environment in which it's supposed to be growing.
1: Jared, let me ask problem.
0: this. I know we're
1: years removed from this now and we can relive the, 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 the trade many times over. But what what is your baseball take? We're, we're going to spend a few minutes on this, folks, because Jared mentioned glass. What is your baseball take as best as you can on why it did not work out for for glass now in the
0: with the with the Pirates? He's a power pitcher trying to pitch to contact, and that just does not work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that's so you're the saying, reason why Chris Archer didn't work in Pittsburgh either. He's so a power you're pitcher. Their
1: philosophy. They tried to mold their philosophy into a guy that they should have just let him be what he was.
0: Yes, one hundred percent. You let Tyler Glassnow be who Tyler Glasnow is. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think that they should have given up Austin Meadows and Shane Baz? No. Um, and I think if they let Chris Archer be Chris Archer, things would have been a lot different for Chris Archer. I thought that was a great pickup for him, uh, for them uh, at the time, because Glassnow at that point needed a change of scenery. But when you, you know, you look at kind of the some of those deals that they made back then, um, in hindsight, right, with the benefit of hindsight here, and you look at AJ Burnett. AJ Burnett was good because he was no longer a power pitcher anymore, so he had to pitch to contact. And while he showed flashes of being able to blow up past people, that fit his style. You know, you had Clint Barmes. Clint Barnes up the middle, and that was great for them because that's great defense. Uh, you you want that to happen. Neil Walker, uh, it, I mean, oh God, Pedro Alvarez at first and third base. Woof woof. Um, but but you, when you have that, you know, you have that the, the outfield of the future or the, the dream outfielder, however you want to trademark that. Um, but when you're Tyler Glass now and you're a power guy and and you need to, and, and you can blow up past people, you got to let them do it. And I, I don't think Ray Searidge and company did a great job of that with guys like Glass now, guys like Derek Cole. Don't get me wrong. They were okay in Pittsburgh. Cole was good in Pittsburgh. He, you know, started the, um, the wildcard game. But again, You have to let pitchers be pitchers. You can't all just fit a square peg into a round hole, or you get situations like Glass now and Chris Archer in this instance. Well, here's,
1: here's, we're, we're, we're recording this just a few hours after Mitch Keller's strong game in in Miami on Monday, they've given Mitch Keller, every opportunity, OK, early on in the Glassnow situation, and Jared is right. I think they tried to make him a different kind of pitcher than he was. And let's keep in mind, Glassnow's control when he first got to the big leagues was not good. It was not. He was awful in 2017. He had a 769 ERA and gave up a ton of hits and, and a ton of walks. OK, here's where the Pirates blew it to me. And they, they didn't believe in Tyler Glassnow. I'm going to give you a number, Jared. The number is 172. That's the batting average for Tyler Glassnow's career that opposing hitters hit off him in the minor leagues. Okay, 172. When we say that Tyler Glassnow is the best pitcher in the history of minor league baseball, 202 ERA, this was as of 2018. He, you know, back, back maybe back and forth a little bit since then. 202 ERA, 172 batting average. Dude, that's 20 points better than Kershaw in the big league. Now, we're talking minor leagues. This guy was untouchable. And instead of just letting him do what he does, they tried to make him into something that he wasn't. And then they completely lost faith in him. They lost faith in him. They shipped him to the bullpen in 2018. I know a lot of this is a revisionist stuff. And they never even gave, before the trade in 18, they never even gave him another shot to be a starting pitcher. When we talk about how ridiculously stupid what the Pirates did was, you had the best pitcher in the history of minor league baseball. You relegated him to the bullpen for 34 relief appearances in 2018. And he had a 434-yard ER agent. He wasn't terrible in 2018. He wasn't great. He was making strides. Fewer hits and in innings pitched. 72 strikeouts in 56 innings pitched. Listen to these numbers, folks. He was making strides. Why not give him another shot to be a starter before just sending him away? That's where the Pirates blew it. They absolutely, and I know maybe people felt like Glass now had every. he was 24 freaking years old. And again, in 2018, 56 innings, 46 hits allowed. That's with the Pirates. 56 innings, 72 strikeouts. With the Pirates. People forget he was turning it around, and instead of giving him that opportunity, again, I know Pirates fans may not want to relive this stuff four years later, but it is something that has always bothered me.
0: Yeah, right. And and you want guys to get their due, and you know, it, and and he performed well when he finally got confidence. And I think that's the issue too. Is you have to, you know, there's so much that is based on relationships and belief and confidence. And one of the one of my favorite TV shows of all time is Ted Lasso, and his big quote is "believe," and you know, and that in that mantra is you have to believe not only in yourself but in your players, and if you don't, and if they don't have that confidence and if you don't have that confidence in them, it's not, it's not going to cultivate success. And, you know, look at guys like Charlie Morton, Charlie Morton had Cy Young esque stuff and it just did not work out the way it should have in Pittsburgh. It's not saying that he didn't perform well because he did a great job in Pittsburgh. Then he goes to a greener pasture and, and gets even better. And you know, it, it's just one of those things where it, it sometimes, you know, it, it's not the plant, it's the environment. And you have to change the environment to get the plant to where it needs to go and where it needs to bloom. And yeah. that's the that's the one thing, you know, that they don't have in hockey or, you know, or the NBA or the NFL. You know, who's good and you know, who's not a bust like that very rarely happens. Um, and I'm not that it very rarely happens, but, you know, and you know what to expect in baseball, man, you just don't know you just have no idea what's going to happen because you look at the Pirates draft history, you know, the guys that they took, like Tony Sanchez, I mentioned him earlier Reese McGuire, right. You know, Reese McGuire has made more news off the field than anything and not in a good way. So you know, sometimes those top prospects don't always pan out. And a lot of them are those top prospects because of where they were drafted, not, that they were the top prospects it's that they were drafted at seven eight four or one so when you look at henry davis and you have that top pick moniker you got to live up to it and in baseball that's tough to live up to each and every day yeah,
1: there's no doubt. I'm sorry to go down memory lane there with Tyler Glass now with all that stuff, but it is fascinating. And so Jared's pick for his favorite prospect with Glass now, mine was Josh Harrison. We've seen a lot of other good guys come through here, really good dudes. Jim Negrich comes to mind. John Schwend, maybe some names that won't mean anything to Pirates fans, but if you follow the minor leagues or in double-A, know, some, uh, some guys that were great to deal with here, Brock Holt, did go on and have a lot of success. We, we've had a lot of good players, a lot of good dudes come through Altoona Jared. Um, but at the end of the day, it is very, very, very difficult to make it in baseball. And, uh, and we've, we've seen a lot of these guys that we thought were going to be something just, you know, not, not live up to any of
0: the expectations. Right. But so far, I think we're exceeding expectations. So let's take it to our third and final segment of the Young Bucks podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports podcasting network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Young Bucks podcast, your Pittsburgh Pirates prospects podcast of choice. Corey, we have made it this far. We talked about highly touted guys, but let's talk about some of the under the radar guys over the course of the time uh, here in Altoona or even elsewhere in the system that went on to have better careers than we ever expected them to um, after even after their performances in Altoona. You know, don't don't you love these kinds of discussions, Jared? You you'd mentioned we
1: did one on the Grinders a few weeks ago. The guys you pull for that you never you never necessarily thought they were going to be big stars. One guy that comes to mind for me was Brock Holt. Uh, he was a ninth round pick. You know, just a little infielder, pretty good little slap hitter. Uh, he did win a batting title for Altuna, so I don't want to say he was as a was. You know, uh, not a factor at all in the minor leagues. But Brock Holt played 12, 10 years in the big leagues, had huge hits for the Boston Red Sox, made an all-star team. Anytime the kind of under underrated, under-the-radar prospects thing comes up, I like to mention Brock. I already talked about Josh Harrison a little bit earlier on. And, and one guy that kind of comes up to mind for me as well as Chad Cool. You know, he was a good prospect when he came here, but he was kind of he was kind of under the radar a little bit behind a Tyler Glass. Now, some other guys at the time, he's a guy, you know, still pitching in the big leagues. You you really want to root for those kinds of guys because they're not the bonus babies. They're not the ones that are going to get every single opportunity
0: right and a guy for me that you know that really hit the nail on the head i have two rajay I- davis and steve pierce or steven pierce today, yeah. today. <laughs> right i love it. Yeah, my i
1: got a buddy who's a huge oakland ace fan mike boydham writes for the altitude mirror he loves rajay davis so i'm gonna have to tell him that you mentioned that he loves rajay what'd you like about rajay
0: literally he just kind of didn't he didn't really light the world on fire. Like he wasn't this this top guy necessarily, but he got the job done and he stayed in the majors for quite some time. Yep. He had
1: that huge home run in uh the World Series. Yeah. I'm remembering that right against the Cubs. That at least at the time, I think it 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 could have been a potential like go-ahead or tying or winning home run in the World Series or something like that. I, but, oh, that was a guy that he he had like 45 stolen bases for the Altoona curve. But boy, he was he was fun to watch, was
0: he not? Right. And he and he absolutely was. And I think that's what makes it so fun for him, because that home run really made his. Um, you know, it, it was just one of those things that just kind of put his name on the radar for really the first time. Like, you know, he was in the organization as a prospect with Kutch, with Neil Walker with Steve Pierce, with Brad Lincoln, uh, it was a throwback. So guys like that, and, you know, it, it's just one of those situations where, damn, this guy made it, and, and you would have never expected it to happen uh, the way that it did. Here was the scenario. He had a two-run homer off of Raldis
1: Chapman in the eighth inning to tie it, mm-hmm. and that was in the, uh, in the World Series in uh, 2016. The Cubs ended up winning that World Series, but they traded – I'm pretty sure they traded (laughs) This this was a disaster. This was the end of the Dave Littlefield era as a GM. They, they gave him the opportunity to go out and try to add some salary. So he trades Rajay Davis for Matt Morris, the pitcher, and Matt Morris was owed like $9 million by the <laughs> yes. Pirates in 2008. And he was horrendous. And they had to release him, owing him like $8, 9000000 million. He was 0-4 with a 967 ERA. And that was really kind of Dave, Dave Littlefield's legacy was bringing the one chance the nuttings gave Dave to say, Hey, you can bring in somebody with some
0: money and he brings in Matt Morris and they lose like 8 million bucks on him. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the best part. Just some of the, some of the trickle down effects of these trades, I think are are phenomenal. But the other guy that I mentioned was Steven Pierce and you know, or Steve when he was, depending on where you were at in his career, But what's crazy is, like again, under the radar, played well for the Pirates, didn't light the world on fire by any means, played for them from 2007 to 2011, then bounces around and then becomes a hero in 2018 for the Boston Red Sox. You know,
1: the feeling among a lot of Altoona Curve fans for several years, 9, 10, 11, that kind of time frame, was that they never gave Steve Pierce an opportunity to be the guy at first base. You know what I'm saying, Jared, that if, if he would have just been given a month or two and said, this is your job, go out and do what you can. He never got that. He'd play for four or five days and then he'd sit and then he'd play for a week. And if he went two for 14, he'd sit for a week. There was never a commitment to Steve Pierce and that, I mean, I, I'm not saying Steve Pierce would have been a star for the Pirates, but Steve Pierce was a pretty damn good player in the American League for the, for, the, uh, for the Orioles and obviously for the Red Sox where he won World Series MVP. If he would have gotten more of an opportunity to play an extended period of time, I think Steve Pierce could have been a, a, a much bigger factor for the Pirates. Do you think he would have given him more of a chance if he was Steven? <laughs> That's right. For those who have no idea what we're talking about. We mentioned this a few weeks ago. His whole time at Altoona in 07, he was Steven. And his first day in the big leagues, he's Steve. I'm holding my Altoona Curve book up here. Jared, can see it. You guys can't because this is just audio. I rate Steve Pierce as the third best player in Altoona Curve history. And uh, every record we have, it's mentioned as Steve. Not, it's Steven, though, not Steve. So
0: that still bugs me to this day, man. <laughs> Right. And so Corey, let's talk about real quick before we let, let our listeners off the hook here, biggest bust in Altoona. The biggest bust
1: would have to be Brian Bulletton.
0: When oh, you're the number
1: when you're the number one overall pick in the draft and the GM declares he could be a good number three starter, <laughs> well, you, you you you've you've basically just You know, that that it's all kind of Brian Bullington. Great dude. Uh, Brian Bullington is one of the biggest busts in baseball draft history, in sports draft history. The number one overall pick I'm pulling up. I believe he made three or four appearances in the big leagues. I'm going to, I'm going to see that here real quickly. He, uh, he made 26 appearances in, in the big leagues, started 10, only pitched for the pirates, six games, so the number one overall pick in the 2002 draft pitched six games for the Pirates, but he, he's definitely the biggest, the biggest bust. He did have a good career in Japan for anybody that cares about any of that. He went over to Japan, had a pretty nice run and like made some playoffs, won a title and stuff. So, but I will tell it for anybody who never got to meet Brian Bullington, salt of the earth guy, really good person, just never lived up to number one
0: draft pick. hype. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a that's a name I hadn't really heard about in in quite some time, and another guy like that for me is John Van yeah, um, first round pick in two thousand one draft from Kent State, and man, he t- he had a negative three and a half war for the Pirates. Three, he went two and thirteen with a nine twenty ERA. Yeah, yikes. You just wonder, because Van Miskoten,
1: if the number is right, I think he hit 34 home runs one year in college.
0: That's very I'm possible.
1: trying to double-check double, double check that as we speak. But I, I think he hit 34 jacks and was a great two-way player. And Pirates have another one of those right now in Bubba Chandler, who's down at the Complex League. And this notion of the Shohei Ohtani notion, are you going to be a pitcher? Are you going to be a hitter? Can you do? He had 31 homers. By, by the way, Van Bieskoten in college, so uh, in, in a single season. So what do you do? I, you know, if Van Bieskoten would have been a hitter, would he been? He couldn't have been any worse than he was the pitcher. You know what I'm
0: saying, Jared? Yeah, that's that's for damn sure, Corey. That's I mean, can't get any worse than. Let's just look at his stats here. Uh, let's see, 2004 because he, he got sent back down. Um, you know, he had 19 walks. Compared to 18 strikeouts and 28 innings, his ERA was 6.91 in uh, six games. It appeared in 11 games in 2007. Uh, started nine of them. Uh, gave up 55 hits and 45 runs. That is, four, that is five runs per start. Yeah, nine. You're right. Nine
1: point. <laughs> he, he pitched 26 games for in the big leagues. 44 to- of them were earned. 920 ERA. That's bad. That's that's as bad as it gets for Bullington. I mean, at least the only the only good thing I can say about Van Miskoten is he wasn't the number one overall pick. Bullington was. Van Miskoten was the number eight pick in the one draft. We are really depressing. Which, that, that's, I mean, that is, Pirates
0: speaking of that, right that, now, that. You know that, right? That's hey, listen. We have to end on a depressing note, Corey. But that that two thousand that two thousand one MLB draft though is I think you know super fascinating because um, when you look at guys uh, like that, like the guys that were drafted ahead of Vampin Scoten, and even guys that um, that were drafted kind of afterwards, it, there aren't a lot of guys that that kind of you know. Stand out. Joe right? Maurer. Joe Maurer. Joe Mark Maurer.
1: Pryor.
0: Yep. Mark Pryor is DeJuan now, I think.
1: Bra-
0: Brazelton.
1: Dewan Brazelton. He actually pitched for the curveball. But Gavin Floyd, Mark Teixeira, Josh Carp, Chris Smith, John Vamasco, Colt Griffin, Chris Burke, Kenny Ball, Mike Jones. I mean, you're talking about a really, is this the worst first round in major league baseball draft
0: history? I, I don't David know. Right. It was a first round pick. He was the 38th pick. This is when literally everybody and their mother got like two picks in the, in the what, draft. What Jason a, what a, uh,
1: John um, Ford Griffin, Jeremy Sowers,
0: this JJ Hardy Bad draft. Yeah. Um, Shelly Duncan, uh, was around the league for a while. Mike Wilson, um, you know, this was Dan Heron, you know, just looking at some of these guys um, and this is back when they had like, you know, 75 rounds and that is Scott Harrison's a name that, that that's, you know, uh, Ricky Nolasco, but oh Jeff Kepinger, he was a fourth round pick. That's another Mike, Mike Rebello, cur- current third base coach for the, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, fourth, fourth round, round pick uh, in that draft. Well, that's this 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 has to be one. What, I'm
1: just googling here. Worst MLB drafts uh, draft class. That, that, this has
0: got to be one of them. So, well, well, how do we get on all this depressing stuff? Uh, I think we were talking about bust for the Pirates. Now, I think the best player out of there and that was coming in the fifth round, Ryan Howard.
1: Uh, like, so,
0: uh, uh, but think about that. How many times teams right. went over and over Boy, There's and over. a lot of names in this. Like, think about that, Corey. People, people went, went over to Ryan, Ryan Howard. He well, wasn't a highly touted guy, and then he turned into one. That's the let's, beauty let's wrap, of baseball. I,
1: I want to wrap this up with, with this notion, and this is the downfall. The This is the downside for me, having covered the minor leagues for so long. And this is why, if people want to hear nothing but gl- glowing praise – about Henry Davis or Mike Burroughs or Quinn Priester or anybody, you've come to the wrong place. Why? Because I've seen 300 can't-miss guys fall on their face. I saw Brian Bullington not amount to much, John Van Miskoten. Baseball is hard. Baseball is the hardest sport in the world. This is a Young Bucks podcast. Everybody wants hope for the future. here's, Here's what I'll tell you. Go Google the 2001 first round of the Major League Baseball draft. Most of these guys sucked. And that's kind of typical of baseball because it is just
0: so hit and miss. You know who's not hit or miss, Corey? The people that have listened to our podcast. So we thank that's right. you always for listening to us and, and, and letting us talk prospects with you. So for Corey Geiger, this has been Chair Prugar on the Young Bucks Podcast, on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We'll talk to you again next week.